0: Hi, I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Dave Demmer, him. Hi, I'm Dr. Tom Dixon, GP extraordinaire, and working with this amateur theatre group that is the MeQ podcast. (laughs)
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Jamie Byrne, clinical psychologist, she, her pronouns. And welcome to episode five, season three, where
2: today we're looking at inner critic, perfectionism. We're going to be playing which villain said that, (laughs) and hopefully there's not going to be too many critical messages flying around the table. (laughs) No, never. Never. Let's get to it.
1: Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm
2: Q. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Meet Q podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their enduring connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi, gang. Hello. Hey. How are we feeling about today's topic? Oh, Is tricky. Beryl gonna come out? I mean Beryl No. no? She's in the Forbidden Forest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's been a long winter. <laughs> yeah.
2: Beryl hasn't made an appearance since season one, episode one. No. Well, I've got sloshy Sally that's been in <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that a whole other part of it? Sloshy Sally is my is enabler. Is that
1: an attached self, either? Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> they are my alcoholic self, the one that's my wine, wine, wine. Like, so they're like the seagulls from I'm Finding Dory, mixed with Kristen Wig in
2: Bridesmaid on the Aeroplane. Right, I thought it was something sexual. <laughs> no. No? Maybe that's Sloppy Sally. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, let's meet sl- Q. Loose Lucy.
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Q. I think I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Well, I know I'm a perfectionist. It's driven by this constant inner monologue of messages like, that's not good enough, and you're lazy, work harder. And those are the nicer messages. It's led me to be successful in work, but geez, it's exhausting. Part of me appreciates the messages. Another part is debilitated by them. Do either of you ever struggle with perfectionism? <laughs> <laughs> is that a silly question for this table? What is that word?
1: How many university degrees do we have around the table?
2: <laughs> a few. A few, yeah. A yeah. Few. I think you have the most. Ah. Uh.
1: I don't I mean, know if you do, actually. I do. You do not. I've got four. <laughs> I've got more than that. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right.
0: My mistake. We're I do apologise. I in did not realise that I was. Um, I
1: wasn't. I literally purposely didn't say how many. And like you know, performing arts. Like, <laughs> is that a degree or is that a hexed? I love... Well, do you know what? That was my by far my favourite degree though.
2: Yeah. Was it yeah. the most fun, probably?
1: It was probably the one that I worked the hardest in, like mm. including my clinical PhD. Mm. Like it's just such an intense thing to, you know, dedicate time Did to. Did you act
2: perfectly? Did you go into it trying to be perfect? I don't
1: think my strength was acting. It never was. So okay. I wrote and directed perfectly though. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> yeah. No, I just, um, you know, and it's quite an interesting thing, right? Because it's a really, just thinking about this case, it's a really collaborative process. Mm. And part of the collaborative process is, Obviously, you know, one of the stereotypical drama games is yes and, this Mm. idea that improv? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Rather than shutting down someone that you're talking about, like no, and then redirect. Yes and is like building on top of each other. Yeah. And so there's kind of no place for a critic because if you're pulling out your critic, then it's actually causing people to inhibit their own, like Mm -hmm. inhibit themselves in the process as well.
0: Yeah, it's like a a great skill of like Saturday Night Live and all of those like, mm, yeah. And there used to be like the Drew Carey
1: one. Yes, whose line oh, is, who's anyway? is it anyway? It's I think we flogged so one of our games funny. from that actually. What do you mean? They
2: flogged for Well, the, from um, was it wasn't <laughs> a couple of episodes ago, was yeah. it? Uh, did I say that during therapy or did I say yeah. that during sex? <laughs> it comes to that. Anyway, all right, let's come back to Q. So let's talk about perfectionism. Mm. So I guess I'll start and I'll talk about how I define perfectionism from a clinical concept. I actually see it mm. as a bit of a response. I mm. see it as an overreaction. Mm. And I think when we view it that way, then we can get to the genesis of what's actually happening psychologically. And I'll be interested in what the two of you think, but but from my perspective, I often see perfectionism as a response to maybe a fear of failure. So if we sit with this really strong fear of failure, we don't want to experience that. We don't want to feel that sense of failure. So what's the absolute opposite to failure? perfectionism. If mm-hmm. everything is perfect, if I'm completely perfect, then I don't have to sit in a feeling of feeling like a failure. Sorry,
1: yeah. your dog just licked my leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: I think you're right there, Dave. Like I think it's that there is a component of fear of failure, but I suppose like one of the questions I would have for both of you is like, how do you define perfectionism? Because like, I think it's such a kind of commonly misunderstood word yeah. in the
2: idea of like what is the perfect standard like, mm-hmm. and how do we know what that is? Exactly. And this mm-hmm. is something when I'm working clinically with clients and, and trying to get a bit of shift in this perfectionism is there is really not a lot in life that could be defined as perfect. Mm-hmm. Maybe a test. Yeah. Multiple choice tests, get a hundred out of a hundred. I guess that by definition is, is a perfect score, mm-hmm. but how do you have the perfect relationship? How do you have mm-hmm. the perfect friendship? How do you have the perfect outfit? How do you have the perfect hairdo? How do you have the perfect body? Can I flip back to you then, Tom, and ask, well, how do you define perfectionism? Well, I don't think there is a perfect. Yeah. And I think... And is there no perfect definition of perfection? Well, I probably could give you one, but that's only because I'm perfect. perfect. One, two, three, three. four. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what that was. What was that?
1: I'm perfect.
2: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The song, right. Is <laughs> 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 oh. that that theme i just playing in your head all day, Tom? Pretty much.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I think the idea of like perfect, it's such a fascinating thing because like, we get all of this messaging in society of like better than. Mm -hmm. And like we conflate that into perfect. Mm -hmm. It's that idea of, essentially well, that person seems like their life is more yeah. perfect or like mm-hmm. their relationship se- seems happier. So like, they must be in this mm-hmm. perfect, like loving thing. Yeah. And like, it just conflates because ultimately, and compounds as well, because we end up in a situation where no one wants to share any of their vulnerabilities. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, everyone thinks that everyone else is perfect
2: and yeah. like, they're the only person that's, that's not. And we yeah, end Instagram up, it's just is just horrible thing. Isn't it? Like, yeah. that's where you're seeing lots of people's different lives and look how perfect, because, you know, I think I've said this before back in season one, another reference <laughs> <laughs> season one, yeah. I'm on through Instagram when I'm elbow deep in a bucket of KFC chicken. Yeah.
1: yeah. You, yeah not you when you
2: I'm on, living my best are life. Are you still on the KFC chicken? Are <laughs> still on the KFC chicken?
1: <laughs> so I don't think that they listen to this podcast. So um, but there's this person that I know and it was interesting, it came up in a group of friends because I've always found them quite intimidating. And they're just someone that I'm just like, uh, the way that they talk, they've done all these amazing things and I don't doubt that they've done these amazing mm. things, but the way that they tell us about them makes everyone else feel pretty inadequate mm. because they've done all these, you know, like it's incredible stuff, Right. <laughs> Look at us all ready to jump on this (laughs) comment. So, and it's so interesting though, because as she's presented this perfect life to Mm. us, it's hard sitting there because it's also hard being a psychologist because I'm just like, I don't actually know that that's representative of her emotional experience. Mm. But all of us kind of feel quite disconnected Mm. from her, which is really sad that that kind of presenting the perfect life has actually kind of created a barrier to connection, Mm. which I would consider fundamental for whatever a perfect life might look like.
0: Well, like I think as someone on the other side of that equation who has been accused of being kind of intimidating or too much or Mm. those kind of things, Mm. I think it's hard because like I share like parts of my life that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. I don't share them for the accolade or the kind of praise. It's like I like I talk about the podcast because I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Um, I talk about other things I'm doing. There's that misconception. I, like, I know that there's people in, um, that have been in my life who have thought of that as being just me kind of grandstanding or me presenting this perfect life Mm. and therefore being intimidating or too much or all of those kind of things. And I think there's that component that I always kind of, and this is how I talk to patients about it as well, is that concept of am I perceiving the perfection or is this person sharing because they actually just want to share? Mm. and like therefore does it then flip back onto me to actually recognise that I'm viewing their life as perfect because I am kind of putting that contextual referential moment in there and I'm not saying like that your experience is that Jamie but it's always something to grasp because I think we as like kind of people like in social connections are always going to have perceptions that are emotionally influenced by our emotional context at the time.
1: I wonder though whether there's a difference between sharing to connect versus Mm. sharing Mm -hmm. to distance. Yeah. Mm. And-
2: Like separate to make self better or bigger than. Yeah. Yeah. So I
1: think that experience with this person, and it's hard because I also see- other people being affected by that. So mm. I know that I have that tendency to distance myself in that moment of going, like, oh, this doesn't feel good for me. So I'm going to distance. Mm. And then I feel bad for her. And yeah. I want to kind of come back. So it's a nice tug of war there.
0: Yeah. And that's it. Like it's going to, it's
2: kind mm. of duality mm. of both of them probably existing at the same time. Okay. Let's bring it back to cue here, guys. God, I and love that swoosh. I like wife? that swoosh sound. <laughs> yeah. I stole the idea from one of my other favorite podcasts.
1: Oh, there you
2: go. I want us to talk about the relationship between perfectionism, failure, if that's what's underlying it, maybe something else underlying it, like defectiveness, Mm. whatever it is. So this perfectionism Mm. is a response to an underlying core belief or schema. Yeah, I want to talk about the role that the inner critic then plays Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, like how does the perfectionism actually play out? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if we've got this kind of core belief or schema that I'm a failure or I'm defective Mm -hmm. or I'm not good enough, yeah. Mm. We often have this inner critic, which has come up in previous episodes. We have this inner critic, which kind of perpetuates those messages, says, yeah, you are not good enough. You are Mm. a failure. If you Mm. don't get a hundred out of a hundred on this test, you're nothing. Mm. And how the perfectionism becomes kind of like a protection or a barrier against Mm. that. Mm. Because if I am perfect, then I don't have to hear those nasty messages anymore. Mm. And I know something that I hear quite often clinically is this idea that people don't want to let go of their mm. inner critics, mm. that they see their inner critic as serving a function, and that function is usually motivation. Yep. Yeah. So say, it motivates me to be better, to do better, to be worthy, mm. to act mm. in good ways. Mm. And I say, I get that. It works, yeah? Like the inner critic mm. does is, it? It, well, it does, yeah. yeah. It, it, but you it see, does, I don't know
1: if I agree because if I got to pick a teacher, right, for mm. either me or for a child, right, am I going to want them to have Miss Trunchbull as a teacher standing over mm. a kid screaming, telling mm. them to eat up? Or do I want them to have Miss Honey
2: yeah. as so a teacher? Miss Trunchbull, right? just for a moment, like Miss Trunchbull incredibly camp. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and what I'm saying is it is a motivational strategy. Punishment is a motivational strategy. Negative reinforcement is a motivational strategy, but it's not the most effective is what What? I'm trying to say. I also think it's damaging. Uh, That's what I mean. Yeah, Yeah, it's not effective and it's not as effective and it's damaging. Mm. So if we can help people to be able to understand the more effective ways to motivate yourself, like through self-compassion, through reward, through Mm. encouragement, those types of things, as opposed to this kind of negative place of reinforcement that, as you said, Tom, is damaging. Yeah, it is. And Mm. like... I think it's one of those ones where it comes from that childhood experience where
0: we have like kind of an unmet need or we're like kind of not able to perform. And every generation for centuries now has probably been taught, like, bring out the stick. Like literally mm-hmm. they used to mm-hmm. have yeah. a stick at yep. school, yes. like
2: the cane was there. Yeah. Like you would get punished if you yep. were misbehaved. Yeah. <laughs> and it would work to a point, but not as well as positive reinforcement or encouragement or... I kind of dispute the notion of it working because I think
0: what it actually taught the child was essentially to diminish themselves. hmm and so that, in my mind, is not actually motivating. It's just harm. It's not effective. Yeah, and it, it's sorry. kind of you're getting a threat response action rather than actual motivation out of it.
1: Well, I guess what we're doing is separating between intention and impact. Mm. So I think about like a harsh teacher. Trunchbull. Yeah, like a little bit scared. Well, not even Miss Trunchbull because I think sometimes the intentions can be like, good, like, you mm. know, I'm thinking about some teachers that I had who felt really strict and, like, I didn't feel inspired by, but I was, I, I do think that they had the intention to mm. teach, like- right? But the impact was, again, that distancing.
0: Mm. But, I, but I would say, like, that's being strict or being firm or those kind of things aren't necessarily, like, kind of the motivation that our punitive critic kind of brings in, or mm. well, not, like, the motivation that we perceive from the punitive critic mm. because what the punitive critic is kind of doing is that, belittling us Mm -hmm. like they're saying we're less than they are saying that we don't belong all of those kind of core human needs they're basically saying unless you do this you won't achieve this Mm. or like you'll never get that Mm. all those kind of things and essentially that kind of sense of how does that happen and like why do we tell ourselves terrible things to motivate ourselves Mm. I just think it's essentially this teaching from as kids where we don't have those unconditional acceptance models. Mm-hmm. We don't have that... Uncondi- role models. Mm-hmm. No, like just like as purely from a societal perspective because it's kind of impossible these days in society. Like we don't get the ability to kind of have every child know that at all times they are wow. going to be safe yeah. because like mm. the world is stressful yeah. and it's stressful for parents, it's stressful for grandparents and it's stressful for the children mm. and as a result like we've kind of got these kind of that plus the historical aspect of just it's what we've done as a species mm. in the Western world at least and it's just kind of perpetuating this intergenerational trauma that kind of leads us like kind of Mm. essentially with unmet needs and motivators that are negative. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What I think of there is thinking about what does the critic promise to do versus what it delivers, Mm. right? So this idea of that the critic says, if you were to get rid of me, and this is something that I'll come up against with Mm. therapy, like we can't get rid of the critic because without the critic, then I won't have this, Mm -hmm. or, you know, without the critic, then I won't push myself. I'll be lazy, you know, because that's what Dave was mm. saying, you know, mm. protecting me against being lazy mm-hmm. by driving me incessantly. And that's what it's promising to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's mm. promising to save you from that feeling. But really, what's it delivering? What it's delivering is your full focus on not being lazy mm. rather than your full focus on oh, working towards the best podcast that you can make. Mm-hmm.
2: You know? It's kind of like the analogy I think I was telling you guys the other day that there's something wrong with wanting to do a good job.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm.
2: It's about whether I'm kind of moving towards success or whether I'm trying to move away from failure, Mm. Yeah, whether I'm pulled Mm. towards something positive or whether I'm trying to repel myself away from something negative. Because two people, you know, moving towards success, one's moving towards success, one's running away from failure. Mm. It's all fine until you fall over, until Mm. you trip. Yeah. And the person who's moving towards success is able to stand up, dust themselves off, move on, keep going. But if you're running away from failure, Failure comes and smacks you in the butt. Yeah, you get eaten. <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to make an
1: innuendo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Game on. Okay, so we're gonna play which villain said that rules are pretty simple. Okay. I've got some quotes here from famous villains. You'll definitely know them. When you know who I think it is,
1: James doesn't know a lot about celebrity. When
2: you know when you know who it is, call out your name. You get your chance. All right. So there's five. Best of five. Actually, Jamie, have you named your inner critic?
1: Uh which one? <laughs>
2: have you got a name for one of them? No. No. Oh, okay. Neither do I actually. I was actually reflecting on that because I know yours is Beryl. Mm.
1: You can call that Beryl. Yeah, that's what I was gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, call that Beryl. All right. I'll call that Beryl as well. I think Dave will be able to tell the difference between our voices. <laughs> what do you mean? I have
2: a very familiar right, voice. Final decision's mine, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. Beryl? Is it Silence of the Lambs, um, Hannibal Lecter? No. Oh. Do you want a free shot?
1: Can you say it again?
2: <laughs> All it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. Good guess so. No, nope. okay, we'll go on to the next one. <laughs> this one should give it away. Okay. Yeah, listen to the words. Smile because it confuses people. Beryl? The Joker? Yeah. Oh, All right. One for Tom.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember yeah. that. That was Was that in the Joaquin Phoenix one?
2: I so the yeah. last one was "Why so serious?" Yeah,
1: "Why so serious?" <sighs> all
2: right, don't worry, we're just getting started. There are lots more bad things coming. I promise. Oh. That's tough one. This one should give it away. <laughs> I love furs. I worship furs. After all, is there a winner? <laughs> 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 okay, Jackie. <joking.
1: laughs> you're very generous. Is Corella yeah, It is Corella.
2: Yay! Uh, all right. If,
1: if one each. If you check, just her then you get the win. <laughs>
2: I've got to try not to do the voice for this one, so I'm just going to say really Ted fan. Why must I be surrounded by freaking idiots?
1: Beryl. yeah, <laughs> it's Doctor Evil. It is
2: Doctor Evil.
1: <laughs> freaking idiots.
2: Freaking idiots. I want to say the last one. Um, you know, I have one simple request, and that is to have sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their freaking sharks heads. Sharks with
1: freaking laser beams <laughs> attached to their freaking heads. All right, score check:
2: Jamie two, yes. Tom Barrel one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that Beryl gets... And also
2: I'm Beryl's crazy. now like active as well. Beryl's <laughs> oh, yeah, at the table with us. Sorry. All right. sorry, Bez. He's as clumsy as he is stupid. I find your lack of faith disturbing.
1: Oh, I know that.
2: You're going to get it in the last one. I'm your father.
1: Beryl. Oh, I'm Beryl. <laughs> <laughs> No, you go Tom. Go I Tom. Because then
2: we'll go to tiebreaker. Who is it? Uh, Darth Vader. It is. All right, final one. Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love your suit. Beryl? Is it Kevin Spacey in House of Cards? No. Oh, I oh, guess okay. so. He's, he's Yeah, I guess he is a villain, isn't he? He is yeah. well. yeah. in, well, in real life. In yeah. No comment. It's not a political show. Mm. Your problem is you need to get more fun out of life.
1: It's not Donald Trump, is it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. China. China. <laughs> okay, last one. You'll get it. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some father beans and a nice Chianti.
1: Beryl? It's yeah. Hannibal Is It's Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Oh. yeah, all
2: right. Jamie wins. Congratulations. I've never yeah. actually seen you, Silence of the Lambs. You gave it away
1: because I wouldn't yeah. have got that except for the first one. Well done.
2: I've never actually seen that film. No, neither have I.
1: Really? No. It's pretty good. So I, I can't stand. But can, psychological Can you guys should, yeah. watch horror movies? No, I don't like them. I can't love watch them because I have the worst nightmares because <laughs> um, i got too vivid an imagination. But I love watching psychological thrillers and I love reading quite intensive psychological. Do you like crime podcasts? then? Like the- I do. Oh, I no. d- and I listen to them hiking in woods by myself. It's <laughs> nice. Not-
2: I Just
1: to really, that's how I get my masochism. Like Blair kind Witch of, Project oh, style. Uh, no, crime junkie. And they're like, you know, this woman was like abducted. And I'm just like, sitting, <laughs> like, go, did that no, guy just...
2: Jamie out like there dunking? with a the shovel.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about how we would support Q. Thomas Dixon. How, do you do, you, how do you do
0: it? Look at gym? Mo, look at Mo, look at Mo. Yuruma. We might use some yuruma here. Mm-hmm. So this is how you disarm the inner critic. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, like I've told Beryl's story. Mm. She is Dolores Umbridge in her pink fluffy cardigan, uh, which is made of a terrible polyester fabric. You know, that stuff that like just like clings and Mm -hmm. just very Mm -hmm. abrasive, not at all natural fibers. Like static from the dry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And she's played by Meldis Daughton, who I adore, but equally in that character is perfect because like, just an absolute nutcase, mm. and the idea of Beryl getting carried away into the Forbidden Forest by a topless centaurs. i have heard that.
2: Yeah, said, yeah, okay, that's been. A You've had
0: before. patients of mine, and they okay. probably <laughs> told you. <laughs> but equally, it's essentially just like the, the fact that, like, yeah. it's ridiculous. Mm. Like, I don't—I am ridiculous, and but equally, there is something that from a kind of psychological perspective, if we engage humour, what we're doing is like, we're not letting fear, anger, sadness, that kind of be the predominant emotions associated. Like we are kind of instead letting that subconscious activate something else, Mm -hmm. which then kind of takes us out of that um, emotional kind of collateral damage Mm -hmm. and that comes from the inner critic. And so satire and humour are an excellent way of kind of just actually recognising that we have still agency in this endeavour when we're kind of working towards something we actually want to do.
1: Mm -hmm. To take a step back. I think one of the things is when our clients come in, this critic will be what I call behind the curtain, right? right. So the Wizard that, of well, it's, it's not what we see. People don't come in saying, oh, I've got this part of me that says, you know, you're stupid, you're inept, you're useless, right? That's not the first thing. People will come in and say, yeah, I don't think I've got a really good sense of self or, you know, I don't feel very good about myself, but we don't verbalise the language of mm. about critics. So that can actually take quite a lot of time and trust in the process and trust in us as professionals to hold space for that critic, mm. because these are things that even saying out loud can be incredibly aversive, right? Mm. When the clients get to the point of saying something out loud, I think that part of my job is to also provide them with an ally against that critic. So to advocate on their behalf, to stand up for them, to say, I'm not going to tolerate that. Like, oh, I yes. can hear that critic coming out. Mm. Yeah, and I actually really want to say, I don't think it's acceptable what mm. Beryl's saying to you, Tom. Mm. I actually need her to go and back off. I've actually got a couple of topless leprechauns <laughs> out <like laughs> centaurs. Sorry, <laughs>
0: topless. <laughs> <leprechauns>. <laughs> Were you making a side joke the about my height are here for you, Dave?
1: Sorry, I, I always get confused. You know, <laughs> for your critic, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, yeah. No. So, like. I do want to kind of bring them in because it's actually not acceptable. And I can hear what the critic's saying right now. And I've got to be honest, I'm not going to tolerate that in my room. Mm. And I really want to let that critic know that. So setting some really firm boundaries can actually start to give Q, as a person in the world, permission to start to set their own boundaries mm. as well.
2: No, 100% agree. That's why she gets carried away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like
2: literally <laughs> like my brain saying, fuck <laughs> it's kind of like stepping in as, you know, I can conceptualise it like if there was, you know, a little child on a playground and some, you know, big scary adult came in and started yeah. bullying them and telling, yes. you know, mm. my little child or my little, you know, little vulnerable Dave or a niece or a nephew yeah. or something like that yeah. came in and what would I do? Would I let that happen? No, oh. I wouldn't. I would step yeah. right in and I would, yeah. you know, tell that. Would we be Amanda and like be carried up by the, the ball and swung round and round and round and thrown out of the thing or would we kind of step in and say, no, that's not acceptable? Yeah. Absolutely, I'd step in in a yeah. heartbeat. And yeah. I think when, like the work that I sometimes do with clients is to help conceptualise that part, that the yeah. inner critic isn't necessarily having a crack at, you know, this adult part of you. It is the child part of you, that yes. vulnerable child mm. part of you that is really hearing these messages. Mm. And when we conceptualise it that way, we can kind of go, oh, well, that's not okay. Mm. Like it's not mm. okay that some big, scary, you know, person yeah. is coming in yeah. and, and abusing and, and saying nasty things to this little kid.
1: So interesting. For some reason, I use a supermarket, but playground works so well yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but, uh, yeah. Mm. So, I know that some of the, I guess the things that I work with here is, you know, you're talking about and shutting them up. I also like to kind of try to almost get like the opposite message by engaging in some self-compassion. Mm. So it is true here that, you know, if, we, if we're conceptualizing that Q is experiencing perfectionism, maybe in response to a fear of failure, failure is inevitable. Like there are going to be times when we make mistakes uh, of oh, Tom's like, nah, No, no, that chicken pie. Or I've never failed, but um, no, failure of course is I've failed many
0: things. Failure is definitely a requirement. Mm -hmm. And like I was just like doing because of Brené Brown, where like she talks about the fact that essentially if we're not in the game, like we won't ever fail. But mm. so like if we're yeah. spectators on the sidelines- yes. that's the avoidance we, part, huh? Exactly. So mm. We never have the opportunity to fail. Mm. And so if we've manufactured everything, mm. so
2: there's no chance of failure, mm-hmm.
0: then like we're actually not playing the game. We're on the sidelines.
2: I'm going to keep this reference again to how we would look after a little kid- Mm. if they were to make a mistake or they were yeah. to fail. Yeah, yeah. We would provide encouragement. We'd say, that's okay. Sometimes yeah. we make mistakes, you know, life goes on. Yeah. This doesn't mean anything about, you know, your worth or you as a human being yeah. or how lovable you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This just means that you made a mistake and that can hurt and uh, that's yeah. okay. And let's work together.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Let's yeah. work together to figure it out next time. As my golf coach says, it's about the process, not the outcome. <laughs> there we go.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <It's about> both. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beryl.
2: So bringing a Bit of self-compassion. And so in those moments where we are hurting, because mm. failure is painful. Like it, it's, we're not pretending that when we make a mistake mm. or when we fail, it doesn't hurt. Of course it does. Every time I stub my toe, it hurts. Yeah. Every time I fail, it brings a sense of feeling of disappointment. Mm. But do I want to compound the pain yeah. by letting this inner critic come in and, and say how awful I am and how useless mm. I am? Or do I want to kind of put a hand on my heart and say, oh yeah, I'm in a lot of pain right now and, and I'm going to look mm. after myself and it's okay. I'm human. I fail. That is okay. Okay. Mm. And I might ask someone to like kind of give me a hug, yeah. If yeah. we're like feeling that sadness, yeah. Like as
0: Inside Out would teach, the sadness and the value of it is that mm. people come and support us when, when we
1: experience it. Yeah, it's really beautiful, Dave. I think that I can integrate that for sure.
2: Yes, and oh, I thought you were building on it. No, about to say. I, do, I was just uh, like integrate that, it into oh, your next oh, point.
1: I mean, like I can find something. Right. I just, I really just want to say, I think that's really beautiful, right?
2: Yeah. Thank you. And I I think that if a client's able to conceptualize Mm -hmm. that, that the inner critic doesn't necessarily go adult us, Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. the younger us. It's a little us. And it's our job to keep that little us safe. Mm -hmm. That suddenly people are like, oh, well, that's not okay. It's okay if they're yelling at me, but it's not okay if they're yelling at that little, that little person. Yeah. Jamie, I know you use diffusion from acceptance and commitment therapy. Talk Mm -hmm. us through that in this instance
1: diffusion, I just thought, God, that really does sound like disarming a bomb, doesn't it? Mm, Diffuse. diffuse. Yeah. But what we've been talking about, and just to put a label on what we've been doing, is we've been talking about the critic as a part of us, right? And Mm. often, again, that's part of the work in therapy, is to say the critic is not us. Mm. I'm hard on myself. I'm really cruel to myself sometimes. And it's actually to say, no, there's a part of you Mm. that's being mean to this other part of you, this other child part. There's this part of you you, which again gives you permission to have it carried off with the centaurs oh, yeah. so that, that's why that he's you're got not losing yourself, mm. right? So that distancing is actually something that's a really important skill. And the first thing that I get a client to do before anything else is just to start to notice these different parts as they come up, not to do anything about it, but just to notice it, mm. D- catch themselves when they've stubbed their toe and they're saying Mm. all sorts of string of obscenities about themselves. And they're going like, Mm. that happened. I had to share something. I had a really beautiful moment with someone who they've been doing tons of work on their critic. And I was uh, having a consult with them yesterday and they said, I turned up at your office yesterday. (laughs) I came on the wrong day. And Old me would have absolutely mm. been doing a tirade at myself and what a waste and how you know awful this is. New me, I was just like, this is actually kind of funny. I think Jamie's going to appreciate the fact that I finally figured out how to get into her office. I've got a dodgy door. Mm. And I came on the wrong back. Do
2: you know what we call that? What? Success. Success,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, well, I was just like, I'm just proud. I yeah. was just so proud, mm. yeah. Yeah.
0: Tom, um, yeah, no, that's fabulous. Equally funny, I actually turned up to my therapist on the wrong one day one day,
1: <laughs> and I was I on time th- as well. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: done, I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, like, so often people, and like certainly many of us, have probably tried to ignore the critic mm. or like ignore that part of us, like yeah, they, like just kind of ignore, like to like not engage them, kind of try to pretend they're not there, persevere. And I guess kind of we've talked really about engaging them. But I just, to highlight the fact that ignoring them actually kind of makes them louder.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Um. Because that avoidance loop that we get yep. stuck in, it just kind of, it's that nattering in the background. Yeah. Like, like Beryl is really insistent. Like, yeah. you know how like Harry has to like write his lines and it like kind of writes onto his skin? That's what happens to me when Beryl's essentially mm. kind of, I try to ignore mm. Like mm-hmm. those lines just kind of go, go and go and go. And then more, more and more like damage happens. hmm and so, the quicker we recognize that those parts of us that are really critical to the yeah. point of damaging aren't helpful yeah. mm-hmm. and decide to engage them, they're kind of less damaged and the earlier that we can kind of work towards where we want to go. Yeah.
1: Radical acceptance is not ignoring it. 100%. Pretending that it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: wonderful. Final thoughts, Tom? Well,. I do love to throw a dinner
0: party mm-hmm. <laughs> and so as part of my <laughs> inner workings mm-hmm. and this might point to my madness but equally like my kind of the way my brain works I basically have a dinner party going on and mm-hmm. the different parts of me each have a seat at that table mm-hmm. everyone's been to a dinner party when there's someone that they don't like that
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the person that's just like oh will they just shut up can we uninvite them no, no, mm-hmm. okay. Because like they've
0: been part of
2: my story,
1: mm. and the has to wait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and I, I guess it's like it's that idea of essentially of bringing the humour. Like and mm. so it's like sloshy Sally is there, Daryl um, is there, <laughs> a few sloppy others. Sloppy Sally yeah. comes right deserves. Not <laughs> Sloppy, <laughs> sloshy, sloshy, sloshy. Yeah, I'm sure it's an English term for like uh, being sloshed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sloshed. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really the Final un- thought, by the way. Yeah, well, like we've now had to have <laughs> some explanation around it. <laughs> because <laughs> you both keep interrupting me. <laughs> but anyway, my advice to Q essentially in this case would how do you bring in the humour? Like kind of how do you make it work for you? Mm-hmm. Like how does it actually kind of say, I'm embracing my dinner party hostess with the mostest and like take the control of this party?
2: Yeah. Beautiful. Because like we've all got guests there we don't love, Yeah, but we, like, we're the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. My final thought is going to be, just going to pick up on something that you said you were talking about just before Jamie this idea of stopping them and carrying them off and and getting rid of them. Mm -hmm. I tend to conceptualize the inner critic as this one part within our system that is kind of created and defined by the external world, Mm -hmm. yeah, that we interpret these messages, we learn these messages from the things that people say to us or don't say to us, be that, you know, during development, be that caregivers, be that bullies on the playground, Mm -hmm. be that messages from media and society if we're growing up queer, whatever it might be. So I actually don't say it's a part. I deliberately don't use the language, it's a part of you or a part of me. I say, it's a part in the system, Mm -hmm. like the vulnerable child and the protector modes and all that type of stuff, the perfectionism. Yeah, it's a part of you, but I really try to externalize. And you know, another little tip I might just give to Q is if you can notice who it might sound like. Yeah, maybe when you really kind of stop and listen to the voice itself, Mm -hmm. it usually doesn't sound like us, Mm -hmm. usually doesn't look like us. It's it's, uh, usually quite separate and that can help with what you're talking about with diffusion. Jamie?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was also going to leave you with a final thought around diffusion, right? Mm. And I was thinking, though, with the diffusion that – It's really important that step of verbalising and allowing space to share the messages of those critics with either us as healthcare professionals, but also with kind of wider safe people in their life. Mm -hmm. And that moment of sharing and allowing it to be there, that radical acceptance of having it there will start to take away its power that you won't be accepted if people knew the real you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really beautiful... Message, if I don't say so myself. What a great way <laughs> well done. to win. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Well, as we wrap up this episode, maybe you and I should uh, take our tops off and carry Tom's <laughs> Yeah, middle. I've
1: got to let my critic back in. I don't know where. <laughs> I think that my critic's more masked though.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I have a really great understand your connection to my critic. Maybe that's some work I need to do. Mm. Maybe I'm just a narcissist. No. <laughs> that's your
1: critic. Dad. There you go. There, yeah. you go. Yeah. No,
2: there they are. Well, let's all go journal about our critics. <laughs> <Okay. All right. laughs> Top's off. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Meet Q is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBT QAP plus community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualized mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on one 729 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And QLife is available on one 184 3pm to midnight every day please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP plus mental health resources.